0: If you would take out the word of God and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. We will be looking at verses 1 through 4 and talk about what it means to shepherd amidst suffering. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. If you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect Word. As we're reminded as we stand, the authority that is before us in the Word of God. That's why we do this, is to be reminded that when we speak, read, hear, pray the Word of God, that it is Jesus Before us speaking, it's not as if Jesus was speaking. This is the Word of God, and Jesus speaks when we read it. Jesus speaks when we hear it, when we pray it together. And so, hear the words of Christ. So, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory oh god we pray even as we hear these words of this crown that we receive in christ that is given to those who know jesus who believe in jesus who follow jesus god we pray today even as a, a shepherd praying god i pray that jesus would be enough God, I pray that Jesus would be better than anything for myself and for our church, that that it would be the glory of Christ that moves us. God, I pray that we would be enraptured by the grace of the gospel, just overwhelmed that you would send your son to die for us, for our sins. God, you raised him from the dead. He rules and he reigns and God, even as we just sung, we are free. God, our worst enemy, death, has been destroyed in the death of Christ. And God, I pray that we would taste, feel, experience, and know that freedom today. Change us according to your word, by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. That's why sheep need a shepherd. That phrase right there has stuck in my mind for nearly 20 years of pastoral ministry. And it was a phrase that was repeated over and over to me by my uh, mentor, uh, Pastor David Prince, uh, at Ashland Avenue Baptist Church, who I served with some 14 years um, actually 17 if you count the time in Alabama but that was a that was a phrase he would say to me often and and if there's one thing that he would probably say to me it, it would be that that's why sheep need a shepherd early on in ministry I didn't understand why people in the church did what they did it just I didn't understand it I'm a pastor and excited about leading a church and just didn't understand why people didn't didn't always do what you thought was a good thing to do when they're following Jesus, like like come to church, like read their Bibles, like not cheat on their wife, things like that. And it just blew my mind that people would decide to do things counter to the gospel. And, and, and I would get so confused and distraught and frustrated. And, and in his office, time and time again, as we would talk about just disheartening, frustrating circumstances, he would just say, that's why sheep need a shepherd. Like, that's why you're here. That's why you exist, is to lead, is to shepherd, is to pastor people. Like, if they just did everything they were supposed to do, you wouldn't be needed. That, that's why we're here, to be shepherds. Another phrase that we would often say to one another is, sin makes you stupid just helped us put into perspective things that people would do, pleading with people uh, not to end their marriage. Men who you would sit with who had drifted into temptation were leaving their wife and kids and would say things to you like, this is none of your business, I'm not hurting anyone. And you would look into their eyes and go, where are you? Like, do you really understand what you're doing? And we we would so often leave situations like that and say, reality is sin makes you stupid. Sometimes you don't even, you're so committed to getting what you want, you don't even know what you're doing. And and those two phrases are sort of melded together in my mind. Sin makes you stupid. That's why sheep need a shepherd. Those two things go together. Sin makes us stupid. We don't know what we're doing half the time, because we're so committed to serving ourselves, We don't think about the consequences. We don't think about what it's going to cost us in the end. Sin makes us stupid in the moment. That's why sheep need a shepherd. And and as a shepherd, I know full well sheep need a shepherd, because I'm also a sheep. And, And the Bible describes sheep as needing leadership. They are desperately in need of leadership. Sheep in general don't have the sort of innate desires that keep them alive. They're not the animal that does it. That's why you don't just go out into the wild and find wild sheep because they don't have the innate abilities to keep themselves alive. They're not just drawn to green pastures. Most of the time, sheep are scared to death of running water. They're just not drawn to the things that they need. They need someone to lead them. They they sort of just stupidly wander off away from the flock, away from safety to be lost and even devoured by wolves. That's just, it's easy for them to do. They're not very smart animals. That's why they need a shepherd. I know that full well as a shepherd who's also a sheep because I know sin makes me stupid. And that's the point. As Peter is beginning to end this letter, he begins to address the pastors. And he says, you are responsible for leading the people of God. That's why you're there. And he's talked about suffering. He's talked about persecution. The tendency to to look at the world and find greater treasures than the kingdom of God. And when you face suffering, it's easy to turn away from the kingdom to make your life easier. And yet he said over and over, no, you have this seed of the kingdom that's growing within you. Why would you turn away from that? And the answer is sin makes you stupid. And and so he says to the shepherds, that's why you're there. You have people in your congregation who are suffering. They're losing their job. They're being disowned by their family. That they can't see. In front of them, what is of most value. And that's why you're there to lead them. That's why you're there to pastor them, to shepherd them. But Peter's point here in the end of the book, as we move to the end, is this. Shepherds will have to help their sheep understand that the gospel is real in suffering. But shepherds, first of all, themselves must understand the gospel is real in suffering. And notice he says this in verse one. He says, "So I exhort the elders among you as fellow elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ." And he says, "And as a partaker in the glory that is be, to be revealed, notice the way in which Peter identifies himself. Now remember, Peter has been called the rock by Jesus? And he says, through your preaching, I'm going to found the church on your declaration. We see that in Acts chapter 2. As he stands up and preaches the gospel, the church comes alive. The church is founded in Jerusalem through Peter's preaching. But notice the way he identifies himself. He says, I exhort, I encourage you elders as a fellow elder. The term elder and pastor overseer is used interchangeably in the New Testament. It's not a different role. It's not a different task. It's one office that's usually given to a team of men, a plurality of elders in the context of local churches. And and Peter is writing to churches throughout Asia Minor. And he says, I want to speak to the shepherds among you. But notice how he does it. As a fellow elder, as a fellow shepherd, the, the office of elder in the context of this church would have been given to men who were responsible to lead as pastors, lead as shepherds, lead as elders with the Word of God. Sheep need a shepherd. That's why God has given them elders. He's given them pastors. He's given them teachers. It's the same thing in the context of the church. But notice how he also identifies himself. He identifies himself as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, first of all, we have to remember where Peter was when Jesus was suffering. Peter wasn't there. He denied him. So what is Peter talking about here? It's the same thing we see in the book of Acts. It's the same thing we see Peter as the first witness in the book of Acts. By the power of the Spirit, he's simply declaring the sufferings of Christ are true. The sufferings of Christ are real that the Spirit comes down in the book of Acts and the church is empowered to say, yes, Jesus is Lord, even if it may cost them their life. And that's what Peter says. I'm here to tell you that Jesus did suffer, that He did die for sins. I'm telling the truth about what happened on Golgotha. And notice he says He's also a partaker in the glory that will be revealed. Literally, he shares, he's a partner, he's an heir in the coming glory, power, and authority in the kingdom that is coming. Peter identifies himself as a co pastor, a co witness, and a co heir. But all of those titles that Peter describes of himself are rooted in the gospel. Peter could have written to the churches and said, I'm the rock, I'm a pillar in the church. But how does he choose to identify himself to a group of pastors who are suffering? I'm a pastor too. And I've suffered for the witness of Christ. And despite my sin, I will partake in the glory that is to come. And that's who we all are as shepherds, Peter writes to this group of pastors. Notice, even as we think about him calling himself a pastor... Remember the first time Peter was given the charge to feed the sheep? What what was the context in which he was given that responsibility? Probably his greatest moment of shame and guilt before Jesus. Jesus asked him, do you love me? Of course I love you. No, no, do you love me? Of course I love you. Do you love me, Peter? Three times, why? Because he denied him three times. And Jesus is confronting him of his sin. He's confronting him of his rejection. As Jesus is carried away to be crucified, what was Peter doing? He was rejecting Jesus. And yet Jesus comes to him and he restores him and he gives him the office of pastor. So even as Peter is writing that word, pastor, shepherd, elder, he's thinking of the command of Jesus that came, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Be a pastor despite your rejection and denial of me. And that is at the heart of why Peter can call himself a witness here. Despite my rejection and denial of Jesus, I'm a witness. Witness means tell the truth. I can tell you the truth. Jesus forgives The sufferings of Christ are real in my life. Jesus died for my sin and he has restored me and he's commissioned me to this task and he tastes the mercy and grace of the cross, the sufferings of Christ. Even writing those words, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as he wrote the words, he's probably thinking of the worst night of his life. I didn't witness the sufferings of Christ. before a soldier, I don't know who that man is. A little peasant slave girl, I know you were with him. I don't know him. And then in a slew of profanities, I don't know the man. The witness to the sufferings of Christ would have brought back memories of his worst night. And yet he stands here and he says, I am a witness to these sufferings, meaning I can taste the forgiveness that comes to these sufferings. I am a pastor who can taste the gospel in the sufferings of Christ as he's died for me. Peter would say, I am a stupid sheep who needed the shepherd and he died for my sins and that is why I can partake in his kingdom is coming. And that's how he's challenging these pastors. You are sheep as shepherds who need the shepherd. And I've tasted the grace and mercy of the shepherd, the good shepherd. And I'm writing you as a co-elder, as a co-pastor, as a co-shepherd. Notice verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that's among you. Again, this is an office of leadership in the church. And the responsibility of the elder is to be a shepherd. Notice the flock of God. It's a picture of the church. Sheep who need a shepherd. And that's your responsibility to be. Notice he says exercising the oversight. God has given you that role. He's given you that responsibility. He's given you that office. But notice you are to exercise it. It requires work. It it requires intention. You have a responsibility. Now carry it out. Now, that is the role of a pastor, is to be a shepherd. Leadership skills in the context of a church can be used for the good of the church and should be. But just because you have leadership skills doesn't make you a pastor. There's a lot of guys I know who have amazing leadership skills and can manage groups of people, but they're not pastors. There is a call on the pastor's life to be, notice, a shepherd of the flock of God. And it means to lead, protect, and provide with the Word of God. And so the church is not a leadership platform for something else. It's not a place where you make yourself known as this amazing CEO of some business. You don't platform the church for that. The shepherd is not to be known as some great, amazing consultant or coach. He's a shepherd that is at the heart of his role. He may be able to do all those other things fantastically and great and even use those skills for the health of the church. But at the heart of what he does, he is a shepherd who is leading sheep with the Word of God. And so the Word of God is central The preaching of the Word of God is central. In counseling, the Word of God is central. In advice, the Word of God is central. He is the one standing before the congregation with the Word of God, delivering the Word of God to the people of God as a shepherd. That is the role. Not just to be a good leader, not to be a celebrity, but to be a shepherd for the people of God. And notice he begins to describe this. He says, you're to shepherd from your identity, not for an identity. Notice as the text continues, you're to shepherd the people of God, not under compulsion. That means under fear or with a sense of duty that I have to do this. This is a task. And, a, and out of fear and sheer duty, you just do it. He says, no, you're to do this willingly. And this speaks to the desire up on a shepherd's life. There's an overwhelming desire to lead the people of God with the Word of God. That's at the heart of who he is. He doesn't say, well, you know, other careers haven't worked out for me. Can't find a job anywhere else. It would be, church folks are nice folks. Supposed to be be nice for me to get a job at the church i I will pursue this pastor thing that's not how that works no there is an overwhelming call upon his life to shepherd with the word of god to lead the people of god with the word of god that he could not do anything else and so it's not this sense of duty. There is a desire. When God calls a man to be a shepherd, when God calls a man to be a pastor, He gives him that desire. He gives him that overwhelming desire. And, and Peter says, that's what, how I want you to shepherd the flock of God with that overwhelming desire, not out of compulsion. You know, when ministry becomes compulsion, when it becomes fear, when it becomes duty is this. When the shepherd confuses his identity before God with the task and role that God has given him. My identity before God is Christian, someone who knows the gospel and has believed in Jesus first and foremost. I don't stand before God as a pastor, I'm not earning anything else before God as a pastor. I'm not losing anything else before God as a pastor. There is to be a reverence before teaching the Word of God. Teachers of the Word of God will incur a stricter judgment, but I'm not accepted into heaven through how good or bad I am as a pastor. And that's when this becomes a duty. When you think good sermon, bad sermon, that determines if God's happy with me or He's not. Good counsel, bad counsel. Good advice, bad advice. When the numbers, when the success, when the failures begin to define you, that's when this role becomes a burden. That's when this role becomes compulsion. It becomes a duty when you are are wrapped up in the success or failure and it is what defines you. Peter says, no, you've got to do this willingly. And how do you do that? Understanding I stand before God in Christ I couldn't stand before him without Christ. God is happy with me because he loves and he delights in Jesus. He couldn't be more happy with Jesus. He couldn't love Jesus more, so he couldn't love me more. And the pastor who gets that, who's rooted in that, 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 that that's when this task becomes a joy, a delight, when he understands Jesus is a much better shepherd than me, and I can't improve on his shepherding. I'm a dumb sheep who needs a shepherd. And my identity is determined through faith in Him. So I want you to pray for me. I struggle with that. I struggle with the anxiety and fear that this role defines me. Where, Where if I preach a good sermon, wow, God was amazed today. People were amazed. I must be doing something right before God. That's usually not the way it works. Usually, when I think I preach a great sermon is usually when I preach my worst sermons. Usually when I preach my worst sermons, people are like, wow, that really spoke to me today. And so I can't get that right anyway. Anyway. I'm usually wrong when I try to, to say how good or bad I'm doing. Usually when I'm in a, a counseling situation or in a conversation with someone and, and, and I say something that in my mind I think, that was really stupid. They're going, that was amazing advice. And then weeks later coming back, that changed my life. Look, I don't even know what I said. I don't even remember what I said. It was so stupid. And so I can't even get it right. I don't know when I'm doing good or bad. And yet, pray for me, that I would understand that God is happy with me, good, bad, not earning less or more favor with God, no matter what happens here. I'm not defined by this role. I work from this role, understanding the gospel. And he continues, he said, shepherd in the security of Christ, not for shameful gain. Notice, the gain here, not for shameful gain, it is probably referring to financial game at this point where you just use the ministry to get paid churches do pay their pastors thank you but you do so in light of your mission you say would it be beneficial for us to pay these folks so they can give themselves over to preaching and prayer for the sake of the mission and church is determined to do that And he says here, you're not some entrepreneur who is using the church for money. This isn't a money-making endeavor. It's not. You're not using it for your own benefit. But notice he says, eagerly, there is to be enthusiasm, excitement. It's not what you get out of it. It's not for your gain. You you are excited and enthused and you serve the people of God with zeal, not for your personal advantage. The pastor isn't asking, how can I leverage being a pastor to get what I want? How can I leverage being a pastor just to be known? There's such a Christian subculture out there, particularly on social media. And pastors get so involved in that, they want to sound witty. They want to sound snarky. They want to come across with with the most outstanding thing anybody's ever heard about cultural situations, about how to grow your church. And you can easily, in any Christian subculture, there are subcultures in the Christian subculture that you can be known. You can create a little following for yourself in just about anywhere and be known. That's also the type of gain he's talking about here, just to leverage this role to be known for some sort of benefit. It even happens in small churches where the the pastor becomes the one with all the answers all the time, and and he leverages that. You become addicted to that. You, You begin to you begin to you begin to pursue that and he says don't do that it's not for your gain you are to serve eagerly no matter what you get in return and this eagerness comes from the freedom of the gospel the pastor is to serve in light of the kingdom that is coming not any sort of kingdom he can build for himself now He he is to serve in light of the name he has before God in Jesus, not to make a name for himself now, not some popularity pursuit. He is to serve eagerly in freedom, with freedom understanding that the one who has the name above all names did not use it for his own gain, for his own advantage, but he lowered himself to serve others. And that is what the pastor does. And so I I want you to pray that for me. I want I want you to desire that in your pastor. One of the things I've started saying to myself over and over is a hundred years from now, all new people. All new people. All new people here. All new people here. Hopefully we will be at some the the people here a hundred years from now, hopefully we'll have a much better place to meet. At least better parking. But a hundred years is gonna be all new people. So it's not about my name. It's not about what I can gain in the moment. I have something better coming to me in the kingdom. I have something better coming to me in Jesus. I don't need to chase after that. One of the prayers of my life is that I would preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. I repeat that to myself all the time. Just preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. But you know how hard it is for me to want to do that? Because I'm sinful. I want a name sometimes. I want you to think I'm good at this. I, I, I want people to know me. So pray that I would be okay with not being known. Pray I would be okay with not always getting my way or my advantage. Pray that I would be eager to be known by Jesus, even if I'm not known by anybody else. Notice the text continues. Not domineering over those under your charge, but be an example to the flock. The word... Domineering means to rule. It means to hold over someone's head for your own advantage. And we've got to be very clear that that the role of pastor, it is an office in the church. And part of that office is to take the authoritative Word of God and preach the authoritative Word of God. So you can't be mealy-mouthed about that. There is an authority when Jesus speaks. But it's not my authority... It is the Word of God. So when I preach the Word of God, it is the authority of Christ. And when I stop preaching the Word of God, fire me. Get rid of me. Because this is the authority. And you have to preach with authority because you are delivering the authoritative Scriptures. And notice he says, in your charge, there are orders to be issued from the Word of God. This is a military word. You are a commander who is issuing a charge from the Word of God, and so it comes with some authority. It it comes with, with, with power from the Word of God. But it's not my authority. It's not my power. It's the Word of God. And so you don't use it domineering for your own advantage. You don't take the office You don't take the power of the word. You don't take the respect. You don't take the honor. You don't take the office and use it for yourself. No, notice what he says. Your examples to the flock. That The word example means a pattern to be mimicked. And so you're not using it for your own advantage. No, you're living it out among the people, with the people, so that they understand what the pattern is. And they imitate it. They they mimic it. And and it's the same thing we see here Jesus. He had all power, had all authority. The the word in Philippians chapter 2 is He did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Meaning, being God, get this, was not used for His advantage. No, He was God and he used that for the advantage of others. I'm a pastor. God has given me this desire. He has given me this role. I have to use it for your advantage. It's not about me. It is about you. And he says here, you are to live out this pattern with the sheep so that they understand what it means to to live for Christ. And, and, And the pattern for a shepherd is to be like, The chief shepherd, the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. And so, what what are you supposed to do? Well, we look to our shepherd who's constantly marked by self denial. Not using the office for his own advantage, but making sure he's using it for the advantage of others. This is a commander who's not issuing commands from behind to keep himself safe. No, the shepherd at times is among the sheep fighting, in front of the sheep, defending. And so they see firsthand how they are to live and how they are to be marked by self-sacrifice. Shepherds do not push from behind. They lead from the front. Cowboys ride horses. I love cowboys, but I'm not a cowboy. I'm a shepherd. And cowboys ride horses, and they scare cattle to do what they want. They have little dogs that run behind them and bite the cow's hills. Shepherds don't do that. Shepherds are among the sheep walking at a pace where they can keep up, trying not to lose any of them. What do sheep dogs do? They circle the sheep up. They get them in a flock so you can move together. And so the shepherd isn't pushing from behind. He is leading out front. The shepherd doesn't use his position to get his way. He is in position to lead for the good of the flock. He's out in front. Even when wolves attack, he is out in front to defend, to save, to lay down his life for the sheep. I never want to use this position for my own advantage. You know what I want to use or leverage the role I have? I want to make sure I'm always... Using it for mission. Mission. That's why there are hundreds of things around here that you're going to ask me about, and my response is going to be I don't care. I don't care. Did you know we're serving Folgers? I don't care. Did you know this or that? Did you know? I don't care. I'm not walking around, I got to have it my way. Starbucks, Chick-fil-A coffee. Get that over here on a Sunday. At least we can taste something from Chick-fil-A on a Sunday. I don't care. But, but when you ask me, what is our mission as a church? We're going to plant as many churches as we can. I do care about that. Why? That's the Great Commission. That's what we're going to get after, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to rescue orphans who don't have families Many woke up today and they don't know who mom and dad are. We're going to step in their life and we're going to throw open our homes and we're going to bring them in and we're going to be family to them. We're going to send out some of our college students to places they may be arrested for preaching the gospel. You see, I can't be over here screaming about the donuts and i got to have my donut and then over here screaming about missions. no. This is where I got to use the authority. This is where I have to charge and command when it comes to mission. And so there's going to be myriads of things I don't care about. I don't. Let's reach as many people for Jesus as we possibly can and let's keep going. And the day that I'm not using this role for that, fire me, get rid of me because I'm used up and I'm done. It's time to move on. Retire, go to Florida, live on the beach. But this role is for the sake of mission, and it should be leveraged in that way. So pray for me. Pray for me in that way. Pray that your pastor would be committed to that. Verse 4, and here's the goal. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, we read that and we go, wow, pastors, they get a special crown. That's not at all what he's talking about. He's talking about the chief shepherd, who is Jesus, who is the lead shepherd. You're following a model shepherd in Jesus. Your, your authority is based on His authority, first and foremost. And He's commissioned you to that task, and there's a day where the sky will rip wide open, and you will see the chief shepherd. And guess what you get on that day? The chief shepherd? The crown of glory here is not a special crown. It's used for Christians throughout the New Testament. It's just the kingdom. And that's the point to the shepherd. You get to go to heaven, so shepherd well. You're not going to go to heaven because you shepherd well. No, shepherd well because you get to go to heaven. That is the reward. The picture here is of a race, and the only reward you need to run the race is Jesus. Jesus is the greatest treasure. Jesus is all you need. The crown that Jesus gives all believers is the kingdom. He is the reward. And so the shepherd should always serve amazed that God would save me. Just blown away by it. Why would He save me from my sins? Why would He be so kind to me? Why would He send His Son to die for me? The thoughts and intents of my own heart... Why amazed by it, overwhelmed by it, that God would send his son who lived a perfect life, died in my place. He raised him up and he's given me this amazing kingdom. That is enough. It should be enough. And then on top of it, I get the shepherd. Oh, that's amazing because I don't deserve that. Jesus is enough. And here's the point. If I want you to believe Jesus is enough nine to five every day of your life, I have to do this like Jesus is enough. I've got a shepherd like Jesus is enough because I want you to believe it. I want you to believe all you need is Jesus. No matter what happens, and that's the way I have to do this. That's why I have to lead here to, to taste and believe the Lord is good at all times. But notice... It, the, the point here is that you would be an example. You, you would be a shepherd who is an example. An example of what? An example of someone who understands they need a shepherd. The pastor has you understand he is stupid. A stupid sheep who needs a shepherd. And that is the goal. The chief shepherd. That's my goal is to get to the chief shepherd. And I gotta be out among you saying, let's go, let's get to the chief shepherd. There's a crown of glory awaiting all of us. Let's go. And that's the role. But but I have to shepherd from that identity. One of the things I was thinking about Peter this week is his identity in this context is rooted in his best and worst night of his life. When he talks about the gospel, when he talks about the sufferings of Christ, That is the worst moment in his life. You you understand that? He was an accomplished fisherman. He he was okay until Jesus said, come follow me. And he was the one that says, Jesus, we're going to take over the world. It's all going to be great. And you're going to die on a cross? What in the world? No, that can never happen. And if they all deny you, I never will. Peter liked to talk a lot. And then... When it came to the rubber meeting the road, he denied Jesus. And on his worst night, he would turn and say, That was also my best night. That was my best night. Because the apex of my denial, I can't forget. But also, on the cross, what is Jesus doing for Peter? He's dying for his sins. So, so even in the moment, there, there's the tension. This is the worst moment and the best moment for him. And that's where he finds his identity. And that's where we must find our identity. You must find your identity in your worst moment, which has been displayed as all your sin. All your sin on Jesus. You have been it. Your sin has been put on blast. You can't hide. It took the sinless Son of God to die for your sins. That is the worst moment of your life, the cross of Christ. It's also the best moment, because there your sin is being died for. And so all of life is lived from that moment. You you live saying, Jesus has already died for my worst failures, And I will never accomplish anything in this life better than what Jesus accomplished for me on the cross. And so our identities are rooted in the cross. And so it's not just the shepherd who must shepherd from his identity. It is the whole church that must live from their identity in Christ, in the cross. And I know some of you here today, you are worn out. Life is a burden to you. You are doing it out of compulsion. And you know why? You're not finding your identity in Jesus. You're trying to find your identity in being a good mom, a good dad, a good employee, a good employer, a good church member. And that's where you are working for identity, and it will never satisfy. The only identity you need is in Jesus before God. Be satisfied there. You know what? I struggle with that too. I struggle with that. This is not just because I'm a pastor that makes it easy. Some of you here today, you are longing for more. You're looking for gain. You want more energy. You want more time. You want more money. You long for it, and it's not enough. Guess what? I do too. That's why sheep need a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. Some of you are here today, and you're striving to use your position for your good. Whatever role you have, roles of authority, mom, dad, teacher, leader, and you're taking it. You're finding your identity there and you're using it for your gain and you're struggling with that. I do too. That's why sheep need a shepherd. Some of you are here today, you just feel lost. You don't even know what to do next, you don't even know where to go. Guess what? I do too at times, and I'm the shepherd. Sometimes it's confusing to me. Sometimes you you don't understand where you are, and you're thinking, are we really going anywhere? That's why sheep need a shepherd. You see, a good pastor knows he's not good. A good pastor knows the good shepherd. Who came to seek and save that which is lost, who did not consider God his own, being God his own gain, but used it for our gain. He laid down his life for his sheep. He identified with us as a sinful rebel dying on the cross for our sins. And that's why sheep need a shepherd, the chief shepherd, the better shepherd. Look to him. Let's pray.